You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, as Doug said, we're in a series called The Four Pillars. Week one, we looked at the Bible. Week two, we looked at the gospel. And week three, we're going to look at the church. Now, I want to begin with the definition. And uh, this definition I came across maybe in 2006 uh, is pretty strong. On behalf of erosion, all right, think about erosion. To diminish or destroy by degrees, to eat into or away, a slow destruction of substance, to cause to deteriorate or disappear. In other words, it doesn't happen rapidly, it's slow. It doesn't make a lot of noise, it's silent. And it's not really obvious, it's subtle. Like, you can um, not be aware that it's happening while it's happening. Now, when we think of erosion, you might think of a hillside, you might think of... um, Goodness, from here to Asheville, and you go through the gorge, and it just seems like stuff's always happening, and everything's shut down. You can think of erosion physically, or you can think of erosion spiritually. And what I want us to do today is I want us to think about what's happened with the word church over time and how erosion has impacted it, specifically up front to where people think when they hear church, they just think of a building. I want to give you an example, a few examples, really, of how this starts, uh, how you see this play out. Uh, typically, if I'm a part of a get-together, like, um, let's say it's at somebody's house, let's say it's an event, let's say it's on the golf course, which happened, um, conversations will begin. Um, people huddle up and they get together. Uh, two, wor- two questions are typically put together. One is, where do you live? And number two is, what do you do? On behalf of where do you live? Where I was like, well, this part of town, this part of campus, you know, west, south, and I'll usually say, you know, over here behind UT Hospital, that's where our family lives. The second question that's asked is, what do you do? And my response is always kind of nerve-wracking because when I say pastor, it's like everyone shuts down. Uh, Cigarettes go behind the back. Um, They've been picking up the beer. Um, It's like, we just picked this up and found it. We're throwing it away. Um, (laughs) It's awkward. And um, like one of my favorite ones, this is just a good story in particular. I'd played golf with a group of guys that were pretty wild. We were on hole 15 uh, several years ago. Uh, these guys were from Mississippi, and uh, on hole 15, we're waiting to hit a shot. And these guys have just been foul, right? And I love being around foul people. Um, it's just, it's part of life, you know? It's, it's great. Don't expect them to act like Jesus if they don't know Jesus, if they don't love them. Just, just embrace them. And so, conversation's going on, but then they randomly start talking about fantasy football. And they randomly start talking about Alvin Kamara. And... Uh, throwing the name around, saying, man, he, that's the pig. That's just the one. Well, because of some things that I've done throughout the history with uh, UT, I randomly, I'm in this side, and I randomly shoot Alvin a text. And I said, hey, these guys over here, you don't know them. They're talk, talking about you in an incredible way. And I said, um, I want to do something fun. And he said, heck yeah, except he didn't say heck yeah. He said something different. And um, <laughs> because Alvin knows me, he's going to be himself around me. And um, I, I, I FaceTimed and threw the phone to the guys. And these guys are like, what the heck? You know, and then there's like unbelievable, is this really? And going forth, back and forth, like talking for about five minutes. But he started off by saying, man, I heard you guys said some great things about me. Just wanted to say thanks, blah, blah, blah. And they hung up. The guys look over me and said, what in the world do you do? And I said, well, it's a long story. I said, I've had the privilege of being around some of the sports and so forth at UT. And they're like, yeah, but what do you do? I said, well, I teach them the Bible. <laughs> and they're like, why didn't you tell us 15 holes ago? Because we've been saying all this stuff, all right? That's what happens in my world when I have a conversation with someone. It's like people shut down. People go to different huddles. People do different things. But sometimes they stay pressed in and they ask a follow-up question. 
where? Like when I tell my pastor, they say where, and I'll tell them, well, it's a church called Severe Heights. And then they usually say, oh, that big church on Elko Highway. And I followed up with, man, not really. Like once you get in, involved, like, like the services are bigger and stuff, but, but the larger it gets, the smaller it's got to feel. And, and it started small. And over time, like you got to get in and it feels small after time when you get to know a group of people. And then it almost never fails that in their mind, they're thinking my job description. Um, sometimes it's been vocalized. They make a statement like, I guess your goal is to get a bunch of people going to severe heights, to which I say, kind of, but not really. Our goal isn't to get a bunch of people going to church. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. I can't say that enough. Become more like Jesus. In other words, back to erosion, it's not just a building you go to. This is a strategy that you're part of. Becoming more like Jesus. Um, I'm going to read a familiar passage of scripture that Jesus said he was looking at his followers eyeball to eyeball these are his last words before going to heaven now it's familiar so don't check out because I'm going to read one in a second that's not so familiar but look at his words therefore go and make disciples that's our job of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit which is what you just saw teaching them to obey Everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Once again, he's reminding us and others, our goal isn't to get a bunch of people in a church. Our goal is to help as many people as possible to become more like Jesus. And on behalf of this thing called church this week, it's not a building. It's not just a building you go to. It's a strategy you're part of. Now, I used a familiar passage of Scripture I want to use a not-so-familiar passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. On the heels of a teaching from Jesus, he makes this statement. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. In the context of this message, what Jesus is saying, two significant words, like Jesus. Jesus is saying, when you've been fully trained, you will be like me. In other words, how this plays out is you and I will think like Jesus. We will see like Jesus. We will listen like Jesus. Throughout the week, we'll respond to situations the way Jesus would respond. Meaning this is a total renovation of the heart, the mind, the imagination. It's not like, um, it's not like uh, putting new carpet on or new paint on the walls. No, this is a teardown. It's a teardown of who we are so that the real me kind of disappears and Jesus in me comes to life. Um, so our goal isn't just to get a bunch of people come to severe heights. Our goal is to help as many people as possible become more like Jesus. Uh, to which if some people are curious, which I hope all of us in this room today kind of wonder this, you got to ask the question, how are you going to do that? Which brings up a strategy. And strategies are involved with everything we do. It's a new year. Some of you have embraced a strategy to break a bad habit. Some of you have embraced a strategy to get in shape. Some of you have embraced a habit to learn a new language. Some of you have just embraced habits. How about this? To even handle yourself financially better. Well, in the same way that there's strategies for those things, there's also a strategy that I want to talk about in simplified terms on behalf of the church, not just being a building you go to, but a place that you belong. 
a, a, a place, a strategy that you're part of. Um, I want us to look at these three words. I've simplified them. A row, a room, and a recliner. Three powerful environments that shape us to be like Jesus. Three powerful environments that when they work together, they tear down the yucky side of Tim and they renovate my mind, my heart, my imagination. Let's chat about the row. It's like where you're sitting right now. Um, meaning you got in a car and you left your, your dorm, your house, your, your apartment, and you pulled up to this place, didn't know where to park, and you're asking where, where do we go, how do we get in, and you come in and you find a seat. You're in a row and you're listening to someone teach the scriptures to you. You're going to see how this plays out with Jesus. So there's a row. There's rooms. And preferably, we're talking about relational rooms, small, where you and some new friends or you and a few friends assist each other in becoming more like Jesus. So it's not some, and I'm not this sage on the stage helping you. No, it's you guys getting together, us getting together and helping each other. And then there is what I like to refer to as a recliner. This is the alone time space where you sit down and you shut out all the noise to examine yourself and to acknowledge what's going on and to think about your heart. Is there issues of anger? Is there issues of resentment, bitterness? And this is how you start the day. Now think about this. These three environments combined are part of the strategy that you're a part of if you're a part of this church. And for a few minutes, since I read Luke chapter 6, verse 40, I want to take a few chapters from Luke 4 to Luke 6 and show you how the row, the rooms, and the recliner are what Jesus did. It's how he helped as many people as possible become more like him. So let's begin with the row. Luke chapter 4. Remember, we're going to stay in this little wedge of Luke 4 through Luke 6 because Luke 6 ended You're going to be like Jesus. So Luke 4, verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. So you got the northern shore of Galilee. It's a fishing town. He's on the Jewish Sabbath, which is a Saturday. And he's in a synagogue, which is a Jewish house of worship. He's teaching to people in rows. And they're listening Here's another example, just a chapter later, Luke 5, verse 1, one of my favorite stories. I could do this one time. But one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. You've got him on the seaside, people crowding around. The longer Jesus taught, the more people showed up. That does not normally happen. But he's teaching, and this too is rose, but it's different. It's not in the synagogue, it's, it's on a shoreline. People are pressing in to hear him teach. And he sees Simon, and Simon's in a boat. And he asks Simon if he can get in the boat and, and if Simon could paddle back a little bit. And I just imagine Simon steadying the boat as Jesus is at the front. And Jesus is teaching the audience that is pressed in on the shoreline. Genius move because the voice is bouncing off the water to the crowd because they don't have the privilege of microphones. The verse continues, look at this. Verse 3, then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So you've got like buildings with rows. You've got shorelines with rows, like people pressing in. Again, one more environment. Verse 17 of the same chapter. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Um, This is not a synagogue. This is not a lake. This isn't a hillside. This is a big house. When you read this story, some of you love this story. 
It's a big house that was packed. Nobody could get in, nobody could get out. They're, they're in the windows, people are on the tiptoes. And Jesus is in the middle teaching. And four guys wanted their friend to get healed by Jesus, but the friend couldn't walk. And so what they do, they, they, they put the friend on a cot and they walk around the side of the house and climb it up. And to get to the top, put a hole in the roof, lower their friend, because Jesus was teaching in rows so much so that people couldn't even get in. Now, on behalf of the rows, one of the reasons we embrace the rows here and we teach throughout the week is because we take these rows serious because Jesus took the rows serious. Like, if you can consider this, this is an element right now where we're trying to build a bridge. Like, like every Sunday we're trying to build bridges, like building bridges where here we are in 2023, we cross the bridge to the days of Jesus as we're reading the text. And we look at that culture, that custom, the languages, we look at the people that are involved and we see how Jesus speaks into different elements of our life, marriage, finances, work, school, everything, giving it our best, forgiveness, dealing with bitterness. We're building bridges. So we go to that direction in the Bible and then all of a sudden we walk back to right now in this city, and we think through, okay, how does that help us? What should I do different? And we're not just building bridges. Think about it. We're also turning on lights. We're creating thirst. And my prayer is that each week, all of us together, we could say these words, we're more likely and we're less likely. Meaning uh, at the end of the service when we say, hey, have a great week, we'll see you next Sunday. Our prayer is that you would be able to say, look, we're more likely to forgive this week. More likely to show respect to the spouse. Uh, more likely to, um, to honor someone that's pretty hard to honor. And more likely to serve without the need for recognition. And less likely to be bitter. Less likely to buy things we don't need with money we don't have. Less likely to be selfish and driven. Like a prayer is literally that, that all of us in this room would be more likely to do the things like Jesus and less likely to do the things that, that I want to do. So our goal isn't to get a bunch of people at church. Our goal is to help as many people as possible become like the teacher, like Jesus. So that's on behalf of the road. Let's talk about a room. A room is preferably small enough for relationships to take place. There's something powerful that happens in a relational room. In rows, someone helps you grow. But in rooms, you help each other grow. It's the variety we call them groups. You can call them whatever you want. But it's a relational room. And we provide it for all ages. Where names become stories. And people understand the struggles and people encourage each other because the process is you and I helping each other to become more like Jesus. Jesus embraced these relational settings. Listen to Luke 6, verse 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 whom he designated as apostles. So, so Jesus had lots of disciples. I know we throw around the 12 disciples, but he actually had lots of disciples. A disciple means a follower. Uh, it means a learner. But an apostle is one who is sent out. So Jesus, out of all these disciples, selects 12. Uh, 12 that he's going to send out, that he's going to give specific responsibilities to. And this 12 is in a relational setting with Jesus. Like this 12, they have access to Jesus that others don't. 
This 12 knows things about each other that others don't. This 12 is getting hands-on practice. Like this 12 were the only 12 that had access to the Garden of Gethsemane. They were the only 12 that had access to the Last Supper. Um, This 12, and I would love to be at this setting. This 12 would spend nights together around a fire. 12 guys doing guy things, like like laughing and cutting up and poking at each other. Like, Like this 12 is where it's at. And understand when Jesus selected these 12, it wasn't, it wasn't just about friendships. It was about friendships on purpose because Jesus was in to relationships. Let me tell you a, a funny story about my group. I love my men's group. I'm not going to mention any names, so I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We did something funny just a couple weeks ago. We had a new guy come in, and he's a friend of one of the existing group members. And we talked about the new guy coming in the week before. I know... Some of them are probably in here. I don't care. Uh, and we decided, okay, we're going to break this guy in right. Um, and we decided the week before that when he comes in, the rest of the group is going to be in socks only. Like just not say a word. We're just going to be wearing socks. And all the shoes will be lined up at the door. And um, they show up at the office, my office and, uh, for group time. And my shoes are neatly placed by the door. And then one of the gentlemen and the new guy shows up. Uh, the gentleman that shows up that knows the story, he takes his shoes off and puts them by the door. The other guy kind of goes back into the office area. Then the rest of the guys come in, place their shoes neatly by the door, and they walk in, and they're all in their socks. So we're all in the room. We're all in our socks. The new guy's got his shoes on. And he's like, you know, you could tell there's a vibe, but we're just acting normal because that hasn't started yet. Well, then the friend of this guy, he's the last one to come in. And not only does he take his shoes off, he takes his socks off, and his daughter has painted each of his toenails. <laughs> this is like two, three weeks ago. And uh, he walks in. And by the way, when he walks in, we look over the new guy. The new guy's slowly sh- uh, taking his shoes off. Now he's in the socks, peer pressure, all right? And um, he looks over at his friend. He's like, uh, <laughs> nice toenails, you know? And he's like, yeah. And this, our group is just strong on, on holding this stuff together. Uh, he said, you know, we don't wash feet, but we started something last week. And uh, he said, we decided like that one guy in the group in particular would humble himself at the end of the time together and paint another guy's nails. And it's tough, but, and I'm literally biting my tongue in half to keep my composure together. One of the guys in the group has turned his back to the group and looking at a wall. Uh, A couple other guys are just stern because they can joke and they're just pressed in. He says, so at the end of today, after our study together, I'm going to pick someone in this group and I'm going to paint their nails. And we had an entire study, and it was a great study. And then we get to the end, and uh, the new guy found out that it was a joke, and it was beautiful. All right, I mean, beautiful. Um, but let me tell you this: I don't know where I'd be without the group. I, like I give you funny stuff. It was we we laugh in the group, we cut up. But I love the guys in my group, and they love me, and they encourage me. Like we're in a study right now about the call of God on our lives as individuals. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how people make it without a group. You know, let me tell you, the people that are involved in group, the people that need to be in groups, typically summarized by the way Clay Scroggins, a friend of mine who's taught here before, came up with these phrases, the three knots. Like the first one is, well, I've not been in church. Then get in a group. I'm not ready for this, which is something that everyone in this room will say at some time or another. I'm not ready for marriage this way. I'm not ready to be a parent. I'm not ready for miscarriage. I'm not ready for a diagnosis. Or it's not going well. Like stuff at work's tough. 
Stuff at life is just miserable. Look, if you've got any of those three knots, you need to get in a relational room where life changes. Because there is something a relational room does that a row in and of itself could never accomplish. So please don't forget that. Some of you say, okay, rows and relational rooms. What a dynamic duo. Well, there's one more. This is a recliner. And I picked that word because of my wife. Like when I see Jenny in the mornings, she's in a recliner with her Bible and her journal. It's the alone time. It could be whatever for you, but it's a time where it's just you and you and God. Listen to Jesus, Luke 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's just Jesus, the Son of God, holiness with skin on. And he often withdraws to lonely places and prayed. How much more so does Tim Miller need it? I'm fallen. I'm a sinner. I am enticed. I am tempted thousands of ways. And when people were pressing in on Jesus, total demands of his time, he would consistently make time to withdraw to be with the Father. And questions that I ask myself in a recliner, Tim, how's your heart today? Like, is it resentful at who? At what? Is it frustrated? Then why? This is the place where I get my heart centered again and again and again. And I want to tell you what happens when I get my heart centered again and again and again in the mornings. That means the people who have the disadvantage of being around me or the people that have the advantage of being around me, they get a better version of me. It's the one that's more like Jesus. And I really don't know how people in this room make it through life without this. Without calling a timeout, like teachers, moms, dads, grandparents, attorneys, police officers, entrepreneurs, managers. I have no idea how you positively influence the people around you with just you, a fallen you. But what if you spent time alone to be like Jesus? Let me let you in on a secret. The greatest gift I give Severe Heights isn't my sermons. The greatest gift that I can give Severe Heights is not my leadership. The greatest gift I bring Severe Heights is a spiritual life worth having that shapes my teaching and my leadership that is fashioned in a recliner in my time alone with God. That's where it takes place. So back to where we started. Like the rows, the relational rooms, and now a recliner. The strategy. Luke 640. The student is not above the teacher, Jesus said, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher, meaning like Jesus. So the goal isn't just to get a bunch of people going to church. No, it's to help as many people as possible become more like Jesus. And the strategy, meaning it's not just a building you go to, it's a strategy that you're part of, rows to relational rooms and recliners. And these are not three separate environments that help you become like Jesus. These are three connected environments that help you become like Jesus. Like they work together. 
hand in hand. They hold hands. They interlock fingers. It's why we see Jesus in a little wedge of Luke 4 to 6, doing every one of those things. It's not just a building you go to. It's a strategy that you're part of. And before we close, i got to show you one more thing that it is. The Apostle Paul writes to a church at Thessalonica that he pastored. So a church that had the rows and, and these relational rooms and, and they made time for recliners. Like the, these are the things that Paul, Paul encouraged at this church. And he's in Corinth, about 300 miles away, and he writes a letter called 1 Thessalonians to the church at Thessalonica. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Here's Paul describing church. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you guys. But instead, we were like children among you. Now, he doesn't say it's like we're childish. We were childlike. Okay, so how are they like kids? Well, go to verse 5. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. You ever notice my kids, they're not, they're not into flattery. They don't wear masks. They can't fake it. What you see is what you get with a little kid. Um, there is nothing phony and nothing fake. They don't pretend to be someone they aren't. And they don't pretend not to be someone that they are. They're real. And at this church, Severe Heights, please be honest. Your family, your marriage, your past is not perfect. So don't act like it. Mine ain't. That's why I want to be candid with you about the things that I struggle with. That's why Paul said, we came to you like kids. Uh, meaning, there, there are things about you that people need to know. And I'm not saying everyone needs to know, but someone needs to know. So be real. Be honest. And then Paul says in verse number 7 again, or not just kids, we were like a mom feeding and caring for her kids. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Hey, we weren't just like kids. We were like we're like a mom feeding her kids. This tender, gentle, loving mom. And what do moms do? They give their time. They give their energy. They give attention. They give affection. To which in the local church, if this is going to be happening, you need to ask the question. I need to ask the question. Is there anyone inside these walls in a relational room that needs time, attention, affection, compassion from me? And then you must do something about it. And we are not saying this is a place where everyone looks out for everyone. That's impossible. Not realistic. We're saying this is a place where everyone looks out for someone. So if someone comes to mind, man, do something thoughtful. Do something kind. And then there's one more verse, verse 11 and 12. Paul continues, and you know that we treated each of you as a dad. Treats his own kids. So you got it. Bunch of kids, they're real. Got a mom that's tender. And a dad that treats his own kids, we pleaded with you. We encouraged you. And we urged you to live your lives in a way that, would, that God would consider worthy. In other words, sometimes people become more like Jesus through the voice of a dad. I mean, think about the voice of a dad. It just encourages you, man, keep going. You're doing a great job, man. We're glad you're here. I mean, I, I know you're down. Come on, pick yourself up. I'm here for you. Paul's using like, like the words of a family. The authenticity of a child. The touch of a mom. 
the voice of a dad. So you ready? It's not just a building you go to. It's a strategy that you're part of. And it's a family. The family you belong to. You heard Doug talk about the class. Welcome to Severe Heights. You know what that means? Welcome to the family. It's time for some of you to take the step. You go to the class next week, you can get some questions answered. It's not a commitment, it's just like intrigue. And maybe you jumping in and saying, you know what? Let's do this thing. Because I want to take it more, I want to take it past the building. I want to embrace the strategy. And I want it to be a family. Because at this church, it's not just about getting a bunch of people going. It's about helping as many people as possible to become like the teacher, like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of Christ. I thank you for your strategy on behalf of the church, the way you embraced rows, relational room setting. And even yourself, made it time to be alone. Father, in this room, if nothing else, may we understand the importance of being alone. Setting a cell phone aside, no beeping, no buzzing, no ringing, no singing, just, just time with you in a chair. And may people in this room understand the importance of a relational room. There's not some sage on the stage, it's actually us helping each other. And God, I am thankful for people that, man, they had excuses not to come to church today, not to sit in a row, but we have a packed house of people that are intrigued and they want to be a part of building a bridge, want to be a part and experience what it's like to turn on the light. And they want to see what it's like to create thirst and know that Jesus quenches thirst. And so, Father, I pray for this church. It is a joy to lead at this church. And I pray that we would accurately shape the way a city views a local church. And I pray this in Jesus' name.